So in constitutional law, we have ended up talking about three really large categories of how the Constitution is interpreted. We've talked about originalism, we've talked about structure, and we've talked about natural law. In reality, though, I think there are seven. And th there are lots of different interpretations that are given by constitutional law professors. Uh, Tim Rinsky, he is the author of a different constitutional law book. He gives these seven. Uh, uh, my constitutional law professor gives these seven, kind of organized in a bit differently. But I just want to go over and give an overview of what each of these seven are, just very briefly, and then sum up these methods that the courts have taken into their approaches of how they read the Constitution. So, originalism. We talked about originalism, but I would break it down into two. Originalism is like your category, your heading, and then underneath it you've got textualism and historical. Textualism is that case that we saw, D.C. versus Heller, where you're analyzing every single word to look at the text. Historical is when you're looking more at the founder's intent. Uh, what did the people believe? What did they see? What did they hear? And how does that associate with the text? And then we have structural, and this is moving into this different approach where we interpret it a little bit more broadly. What is the structure? What kind of powers are we trying to preserve? Whether or not it's the separation of powers or checks and balances, federalism, uh, and how those all function together and trying to preserve that in the Constitution. I would say that those are all kind of more older-based approaches. Uh, structuralism is more branching out into kind of a more progressive, so to speak, whereas historical and textualist tends to be more of a conservative approach. Uh, but we do have more contemporary approaches as well, and these are uh, things that Justice Brennan, uh, Justice Breyer are very famous for. Uh, specifically, we have ethical, and this is would be like those natural law, natural rights that we had just mentioned a minute ago that was in Calder uh, versus Bull. I think that was the name of the case. Uh, but we're looking at what the Constitution is trying to preserve, kind of more unwritten. And an example of that would be the right to privacy, where it's not in the Constitution, but it has been preserved through due process of law, through the 14th Amendment, and interpreted to be applied. Another way, a contemporary approach is by pulling jurisdictions. Uh, we're looking at the societal values. Uh, what did the people want? What did the people uh, see? And this is more of a changing constitutional approach uh, that I personally am not as fan of because it's more up to public perception than I think that it would, uh, than what I think it should be. And then we have our kind of in the middle arguments. We have stare decisis, and another word for this is doctrinal. And this is our precedent cases. So I guess there's three phrases for that. Uh, this is where the rule of law has been this way, and because we have interpreted it this way in the past, we'll continue to interpret it today that way. And then we have finally pragmat uh, pragmatic or prudential and this is weighing the pros and the cons of each argument. Uh, what makes more sense? Uh, what uh, would be the greatest benefit of uh, interpreting the Constitution in the way that you interpret it? And pragmatic, I would say, ends up being tacked on to a different approach, usually. Uh, most originalists uh, may branch out to a different approach 
because it's pragmatic to do so or it's prudential to do so. Whereas uh, some of the more liberal justices or progressive justices may end up using pragmatic to tack it on to an originalistic approach that they normally would feel fits their purpose. So ultimately, pragmatic or prudential is just really what provides society the best benefit uh, through what is most practical. And those are the interpretations of the constitutional interpretation. There's the seven of them. And like I said, I think originalism is a good default. I wouldn't stick solely with originalism, but I think if you can use an originalistic approach, I would come back to that. That's my personal opinion. Uh, Everybody else is obviously entitled to their opinion as well. They can uh, believe what they think, but I think that is what would be a good, consistent approach. Maybe not consistent, but a good, logical, realistic, so to speak, approach into interpreting the Constitution. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't our pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice, and with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.